Hello and welcome to The Naked Scarf. I'm Adam. I'm Andy. And I'm Stephen. And in this episode we're going to be looking at Trial of a Time Lord, parts 5 to 8, or as I like to call it, let's do the mind warp again. So, Andy, <laughs> give us your plot synopsis. Um, uh, Doctor Who, having uh, tried and failed to do comedy with, with their many uh, Valyard puns in the past couple of episodes, try for a different kind of comedy, one that mostly involves Brian Blessed running around screaming. And that's actually the most coherent plot synopsis you're get, going to get out of this, so uh, I, I'd take it if I were you. That's almost a good point, to be honest. Essentially, every plot point is resolved by suddenly Brian Blessed. Charging around and screaming, yeah. I mean, I think it's fair to say that, looking back, this is where Trial of the Time Lord kind of starts to fall apart badly. In some respects, but it's definitely better than the first four episodes. I, I, It's got a very good cast, I think. I think the cast are very good. I mean, Seal's always a good, fun character. Uh, Crozier? Crozier? Yeah. He, he's he's brilliant. I love him. He's he's because he's so icily cool compared to Brian Blessed, and it kind of holds. And Phil, Philip Martin is a good writer who I think got given a nightmare brief for this, uh, a lot of which hangs around the fact that we're never sure, and it's actually never cleared up, even in later episodes, whether a lot of what we see actually happens or whether it's faked evidence, and that's never addressed. But that's a failing of the later episodes rather than these four episodes. But in in, in the context of this story, in the context of these four episodes, they're essentially setting up a mystery. It's not really the writer's fault that it never gets resolved. No, and I'm, they I'm, do not, that very I'm not saying I'm not saying it is. But Philip Martin and everyone working on that story have admitted they didn't know. Everyone had a different take on whether it was actually the Doctor because of the mind blast going a bit mad, or whether it was all fake. So it just kind of falls apart. Yeah, but to, I mean, watching it essentially from the point of view of someone who sat down in 1986, Six. 1986 to, to watch four episodes of You Doctor weren't even born I then. I wasn't even born then. I could tell I, by looking at your face that's what you were thinking. <laughs> I was what, five. did I suddenly look I kind of smug? Well. Yeah. Oh, okay. You're right, I'm, I'm so much younger and, and you know, uh, I don't know. I'm just going to shut up now. <laughs> but, see, but, but seeing from the perspective of someone who sits down to watch just four episodes of Doctor Who uh, that tell us a reasonably coherent story... I'd, I'd be intrigued by the mystery and intrigued as to how it's going to be resolved. So the fact that it's not actually resolved in those four episodes isn't really the fault of that story. No, I guess not. And they had set up plot threads in the first story as well. Yeah. But it, it's hard to look at it now and know that none of that is ever resolved and be able to take it entirely from that point of view. I see what you mean. I mean, it does open with uh, Perry and the Doctor... And it's appropriate, it's them as well, landing on the most hideously coloured planet you're ever likely to see. Oh, I kind of wanted to go there. It was like Planet of the Acid Trip. (laughs) Or Planet of the BBC 80s video effects. It's the same thing. (laughs) Look what we can do, guys, we've got this new machine. I actually actually quite like it, because at least they're trying. Yeah, it is. At least they're making an effort to to make something look alien. I thought the pink sea looked like it would taste of marshmallows and candy floss. (laughs) Unicorns and rainbows. Uh, And and then Brian Blessed would twist the neck of the unicorn (laughs) and eat it in front of you. Ah, yes. That's actually quite a good analogy for For Brian Blessed in general. (laughs) The man who would eat unicorns. He he does dominate this episode. He he bestrides it like a colossus. (laughs) Because Colin Baker's Doctor goes so weird as well that it's almost... Like, you do end up just following Brian Blessed. Actually, I really like the premise of the Doctor. Initially, it seems to be the Doctor's just sort of lost his memory, and then it, it becomes the Doctor just starts 
acting like a complete bastard. But do you think it loses some shock because it's Colin Baker's Doctor? Now, I don't want to go for the old cliche of, oh, he strangled Perry, because that's not his character. And that was, I suppose, that is made very clear, even at the time, that, it, that it's, it's a blip. It's just they handle it because of his generation crisis, but they handle it badly. But even so, that's always kicked around that he's the nasty Doctor. Well, to be so fair, him being that nasty <laughs> isn't that shocking. If it had been Peter Davison's Doctor who yeah. suddenly tied up Perry and uh, was, was, was torturing her, that would be a lot more shocking. Colin Baker's and Doctor does... more sexy. Colin I Baker's Doctor does have that. an awful lot of out-of-character moments where he starts wailing on Perry, I'm just saying. You know? <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a unfortunately it's, recurring it's a, theme. It's, it, it is a bit like a sort of a, abusive spousal relationship. Oh, it's very much like one. That's, that's uh, but, unfortunate. Uh, Did you ever see that series? I think it was called In Therapy, and it was uh, just basically following a bunch of people talking to the same uh, therapist, but they were all kind of In fictional treatment. characters. In Treatment, that was the one. I, I quite like the idea of doing that with the Doctors. And Colin Baker would be the doctor that you'd want to hold out for, couldn't you? Could you just imagine him lying on the therapist's couch? Like, sometimes I get this compulsion to do bad things, like make trial of a Time Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and Sylvester so, so McCoy's doctor would have some, some darkness <laughs> in him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that, doctors on the couch, and that's something you never want to see. Um, I, I kind of do. You know, you would. Of course, he does, at one point, it's worth pointing out the Sixth Doctor and Perry do throw a corpse at someone <laughs> to get away. But with the creature, the, the Rack, or the Rachni, or whatever it is, not the Rachni, the, the, that's from Mass Effect, yeah. um, where, 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 they get, where they basically throw the corpse at someone else to, to escape. So everyone's, like, everyone's motivations seem quite strange in this episode. I mean, there's the... the Crozier, the evil doctor, mm. very louche evil doctor, who seems to be doing a sort of Dr. Moreau kick, but he's doing it so that he can transplant Lord Kibbs' brain into another body. But it's, it's his research, isn't it? They yeah. do talk about, oh, we fund your research. So it, it, he's basically like Rani, actually. He, he's, a, he's not so much evil, but an amoral scientist. Yeah. Doing but he thing. seems remarkably concerned for the welfare of his strange fish creature that tries to kill people. But, because, uh, but but that is explained because if that's gone wrong, then his experiments have gone, gone wrong. wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, it it does place him in a slightly unusual moral context in the, the in in the opening part of the episode, mm. in that um, the Doctor clearly has killed this creature. Is yeah. it? Accidentally. I mean, accidentally well, killed this creature. Well, it's weird because he goes, well, he accidentally... <laughs> and then they throw his corpse at some. But because he goes, oh, look, the, the uh, CD phase or whatever was accidentally discharged, watch the thing again. But it's not actually that clear that it's accidentally discharged yeah. at all. It's a bit... Actually, I will want to say, say one thing. Having Colin Baker's Doctor in this is, I think he's perhaps one of the few Doctors that could really go up against Brian Blessed. Yes, they Even, are both very operatic. Yes, very <laughs> operatic and, and, and they work... They do work well in, in, in that sense. Flamboyant. Flamboyant. Slightly camp. <laughs> can, can I actually... I'm, I'm going to take this opportunity to tell my uh, Brian Blessed story. This isn't actually a direct experience. What? I, I, I know what the you story know is. is. Yeah. But um, this isn't a direct experience, but I, when I was a theatre technician, I met someone who had worked with Brian Blessed on a, on a show. And uh, they said they were in the pub afterwards. Now, this story does involve a very, very rude word. but And I know we've got an explicit tag, but I'm still going to replace it with a more Doctor Who-friendly word. Uh, just because it is a slightly more extreme word. Spack off. Yeah, basically, I'm going to uh, use the spack off. Um, no, that is, is this the word that I've actually been waiting to drop this entire time no. and somehow I haven't done it yet? Anyway, 
Very blessed after the show is in the pub with my Tunisian friend. And there's this guy in the pub, and apparently he's just slagging off the show or something very loudly. And he, you know, trying to show off to his friends. And Brian Blessed turns around to him and in through Brian Blessed mode goes, You, sir, are a Cyberman. <laughs> <laughs> you were born a Cyberman and you'll die a Cyberman. And, and his, I think Brian Blessed's wife then, and she's going, Brian, Brian, no, no, leave it. And you go, No, 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 dear, I'm calling him a Cyberman. <laughs> So, uh, yes, that's, that's always my, what I think of when I think of Brian Blessed. Well, I was uh, actually saying that the, the, the problem with my watching Brian Blessed in anything, anything, uh, Flash Gordon, uh, that, that really funny show that he did where he was kind of like wearing the, the, the child's armour and, and, and Japanese people were sort of flinging themselves around obstacle courses, uh, Ultimate Banzuki or something like that. I don't know. It was kind of like one of those to Sheffield's Castle. No, it was brilliant. Brian Blessed was there, and, and he was basically you, you know Craig Charles um, on to Sheffield's Castle, and he oh, was yeah. basically like the English narrator. Well, they got Brian Blessed to do it for this uh, thing, which was basically these Japanese people throwing themselves around these incredibly challenging obstacle courses. Uh, sure and uh, just he was Brian no, he was video. there. He was like. Quite possibly, actually, he was there in between all the sort of takes, and he was wearing like this child-sized plastic fancy dress armor, and they'd given them this little sword, and he was waving it around and like you know narrating this thing, and it was just the best hangover TV ever. Uh, yeah, but uh, none of it, none of it, just you know, actually, uh, it, it has quite the same effect after I saw him on Have I Got News for You. And I don't know if any of you listening ever saw that episode, but seriously, if you ever want to experience a true my head is full of fuck moment, then go back, YouTube it, watch it, and just understand that Brian Blessed was never, ever supposed to be an entity that was supposed to be understood, which actually kind of makes him perfect for Doctor Who, really. He was actually saying he's the Dreadlord Cthulhu. (laughs) (laughs) And Brian Blessed rose, and the lucky ones died first. Well, no, yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but he does lift this episode because no matter oh, yeah. you, no matter how boring the courtroom scenes get, you know that you're only ever sort of 30 <laughs> seconds away from Brian Blessed. The, the so. trouble with the courtroom scenes is they go into full meta-commentary mode with he's like, did we really need to see that? And what was the point of that? And you're thinking, yeah, what was the point of that scene? There's, there's a brief hint that there may be some new dramatic element introduced when they offer the Doctor the chance of a court defendant and then he says no... And that drama just fizzles and dies on its arse. The thing is, it opened, the very first episode of this opens with the court scene. Then they go to them landing on Thorter's Beta, whatever it is. And then literally, less than a minute after they've done that, they, they go back to the courtroom. I mean, I, I can't, it's literally just bang, 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 and it, it's so jarring. I, I mean, exactly. I find the courtroom scenes incredibly, uh, they are basically an anchor around, you know, what could possibly, you know, be a more action or, or seemingly action-filled episode but but you just keep going back to these uh incredibly staid courtroom scenes and the problem with that is that it, it sort of reminds you that you're not experiencing this story in in real time as you know i guess you're supposed well, to as the pace picks up a little bit in the last episode because they, they they do say you know he was abducted from within this adventure which is a very sort of strange thing you wonder why he's not more concerned about it but as you get towards the final episode and it becomes clear that he's going to be taken out of time. The courtroom scenes do get a bit more weight behind them, I think. Yeah. yeah. No, no, <clears> and a bit more enough. import. But it just takes a while to get there, and you're just like... And again, oh. within the context of these four episodes, when you think that they have, in fact, killed Perry and that they've just taken him out of this adventure, there's that very weird scene, which is almost sort of a bit Sapphire and Steel-esque, where the TARDIS just appears and he sort of walks backwards into it and vanishes. I've never seen Sapphire and Steel. Shh. 
edit that bit <laughs> No, I'm going to buy it. It's, uh, <laughs> I am, it's, it's been on my list to see for ages. Can we can we talk about Perry actually? Um, apart from the fact she gets the line, nobody likes brain alteration, which might be my new favourite Perry line of all time. Um, Nicola Bryant is actually really good in the last minute when she's a villain. There's something, maybe it's because she's dropped the bloody awful accent, but just for a second she's, you think, oh, maybe there's a whole other story there where this happens earlier. I think, I think Nicola Bryant is hamstrung by the fact that Perry is just whining all the time and just doesn't want to be there. It's that sort of sequence of 1980s companions with mm. Tegan and they would rather be, you know, on boring old earth working as a stewardess or, you know, in Perry's case, a student or whatever, um, to, than, than travelling the universe in the time. Yeah, with Tegan, that drops after her first season, after she gets back. After she's experienced how awful time flight is, she realises that she'd rather not uh, stay on Earth at all. Yeah, uh, um, but there is that sort of running thread of eighties companions who are either duplicitous, whiny, or adric. But it, 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 it never lasts very long with any of them because Turlo isn't duplicitous. Yeah, duplicitous at health. Um, Turlo is an untrustworthy. Thing. <laughs> and this seems to like hanging about. But t- it, uh, but Perry has basically, it, essentially, for her entire first season, she really doesn't want to be there. Yeah. And the sort of the whining continues in Trial of Time, and then you get that that last she, scene. With they are better. The two of them are oh, better. The, the the there they, is. They seem to like each other. You can kind of see them travelling together. Because yeah, like, I think I mentioned in the last episode, they do seem to get on. So there is definitely a shift, but it's always a, a bit shift, too late. Yeah, the, 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 sort of the essential trait of her character is it doesn't really want to be here. Mm. And she usually spends the first sort of 30 seconds of any given episode complaining that she is there, Yeah, which is an unfortunate thing. I mean, I'm not saying that they should always be constantly sort of bubbling with joy and enthusiasm, but it would be nice to see someone who actually wants to be travelling with the Doctor. Which we do with Mel, <laughs> actually. Yes, which I'm looking forward well, to. Strangely at this I, point. I like her enthusiasm. Yes, if, if nothing, <laughs> nothing else. Nothing but else. It's this weird thing, because originally, I mean, again, we are kind of spoiled because we know what happens, and it says a lot for this story that he gets reconned within his own series six episodes later in fact I can't think off the top of my head of a single other science fiction series that has to recon itself within its own series that year maybe in a couple of years time but it actually literally has to recon itself six episodes later which is pretty unique Mm. and and shows what trouble it was having this thing it's kind of I'm kind of glad as much as it's quite a dramatic ending and I probably wanted to see more Perry as a villain I, I can't help but feel that this Killing off companions isn't always a great thing to do, particularly not so soon after killing off Adric, because it's only a few years. And it, if you can, it's like in the news series, people are always like, "Are these companions going to die? Are they going to die?" And, people, and you see people going, "Oh yes, a companion should die." And you're like, "Yeah, but then if too many companions die, as much as people seem to want them to die, it gets to the point where you, you, you as the audience can't really be behind the Doctor taking them on to lead them on to adventure when." Well, worse, but worse bodies. is doing comic book death and killing them and then bringing them back, which is essentially what they do with Perry. Yeah, um, no, I'll accept that. The other thing I think about Perry's fake death in this episode is very weird and abrupt um, yeah. and sudden. And I actually, in, in some ways, that's quite good because you get that sort of wonderful sort of shock reaction of the Doctor at the end. Yeah, um, and, and actually, fair, Colin Baker's very good at that moment when he's yeah. just like you, get, you know, because he's suddenly not blustery at all. You actually, you see, he almost for a moment he's quite vulnerable because he's like. Deflated. Yeah, completely. It's quite a nice moment. moment, but mm. I really just like the bald wig cap thing they give her. 
you can see the line on her head. And I also don't understand why they had to shave her beautiful, beautiful hair, which is the one thing that she really has going for her. Well, that and, like, you know, that sort of you episode just where... You just yourself is a board cap. She okay. wiggles around and, 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 and gets some pretty impressive cleavage going on under what looks like a hospital-issue top, just in pink. And, um, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, yeah. I, I don't understand why they had to shave her hair, because they didn't do that to Brian Blessed. Also... Technically speaking, they, they they really don't need to shave her head because it's not like it's a it's a surgical operation. It's like a mind transference thing. Yeah. And as an expert on mind transfer, I'm sure you'll tell me. Presumably, like uh, you know, with a with a ECG or whatever machine, yeah. you can just stick electrodes on people's heads, and I presume that's how a brain transference thing would work. Yeah, I guess we're kind of wandering off our all our ex- areas. Of maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe it's just that uh, you know, uh, uh, it, it, it's it's kind of like reverse Samson thing, and uh, Nicola Bryant can only act if she doesn't have hair. So Ooh, that's cruel. It's <laughs> very cruel. Well, okay, no, she she can only be not limited by her script and character if she doesn't have hair. So, Andy, give us your thoughts on the rebels in the story and their ponchos. They're very on trend. <laughs> no, they're not Navajo prints. You know the hipsters are all wearing them. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, for for a start, that that's incredibly uh, like you know the Navajo uh, Nation actually uh, uh, kind of owned the, the copyright on those prints, and so uh, Urban Outfitters recently got sued for uh, naming a, a range of uh, things with that kind of print Navajo. And, uh, and and Urban Outfitters are horrible people anyway. But uh, uh, yeah, no. Um, in fact, why were they wandering around dressed like Navajo Indians when they are in some place in space? You know, I I, I get that. To be fair, though, there's a long there's a long history of that in science fiction anyway of taking a ethnic. I'm using that quotation about that kind of, kind of clothing and applying it to to a different planet. Well, essentially, Brian Blessed is wandering around dressed as a samurai. Isn't but it? I think that's but just but he's Blessed's come from clothing. a different planet. He's he's come from a different planet where they Japan's obviously a different planet. Um, no, no. Brian Blessed's character came from a different planet when they're obviously warrior people, and so that—that's perhaps more, you know, or, or less random than these random people who pop up dressed as Indians, and they actually live on this weird psychedelic acid planet. And you know, also, they, or maybe they, this is all just part of my trip. Are but, you people really here? No, that's, no, that's, no. Uh, but th- th- there's also the the fact that they apparently only seem to have one gun on the entire planet. <laughs> no, the rebels only have one gun. They seem to pass between them. Uh, let's not forget the, the moment by the way when Perry gets a gun to work, but then throws it at someone in in, in what what feels like came out of something like Police Squad. Moment, really, there's um, yeah. There's also that sort of uh, rather strange moment towards the end where they lose control of the the slave chips. And and they are running through these corridors full of gaily twirling rebels in ponchos, <laughs> all looking like a Peruvian folk band. It, it does look like the sort of club night you might have seen in Nathan Barley. <laughs> um, and and therefore, why have I not been there yet? Even among, I mean, when it comes to being a rebel. Mid eighties dot two was not a good time to be because they're all a there's bit that, shit. That, yeah. They're particularly oh, yes. shit in this episode. There's that marvelous scene where they find the ammo dump and the, the villainous card goes, "Yes, we knew about it. <laughs> we always knew it was here. We were just bored and we thought, you know. but there's even thing where Brian Blessed go, "No, we'll find the rebels. Why? They'll come to me." And they just wander around a bit. We're some rebels. What you got? Rebel. That's like, uh. but given this is the last time, I think we really see these kind of rebels in dot two. I'm trying to think ahead a little bit. Well, it's it, the, there's the, the Kangs, I suppose. Yeah, of. but they're 
They're different. different. They're not really rebel. Yeah. That's no. not, and even in Happiness Patrol, so sorry, isn't it? it it's different. That any you don't really get rebels. You, but like I think the they're, re- they're rebels written with a sense of self awareness. Yeah. In the later uh, but this stories. is almost like the last hurrah of really shit rebels in Doctor Who. I'm trying <laughs> to think ahead. I don't think I've missed. We've missed. And uh, no, Dungeon the Baron, no, no. But um, of this kind of young, badly acted, because the, the guy playing the lead rebel is pretty bad, particularly when he's up against Brian Blessed and Colin Baker. It's in like, full flow. In, yes, in full Brian, flow. Brian Blessed shouting with the white-hot rage of a thousand suns. I, I, I love that moment when Brian Blessed smashes the control unit and then skips, literally <laughs> seems to skip off camera. But I, I like your idea that actually he wasn't in the script at all, he just turned up on set and they're like, oh shit, and they just improvised <laughs> the rest of the story. Essentially just Brian Blessed just wandered into the studio and started hitting people. <laughs> no, I, I think my favourite part actually was That's kind how of... they film Z cars. He wasn't even actually cast in that. He just turned up. I think my favourite part was actually when uh, uh, you know um, uh, Perry and Brian Blessed are having a, a conversation, which is obviously supposed to be setting up a, a later plot point. And she laughs at the fact that he thinks he's going to get reincarnated as an even better king. And and like they sort of zoom in on her laughing face. And so that's that later when she does decide to elope off and and, and marry him. Spoilers. Um, that you know, when it gets announced. Yeah, as well. yeah. It's it's not a big shock anymore because she once laughed at something he said. Because it's, it's, it's the basis for a stable relationship. Isn't Absolutely, it? <laughs> sense of humour. But the, the, the other thing, the other thing about Perry is she's then turned up in various different spin-off fictions with various different fates about what happened in the original. I believe in the original Mind Warp novelisation, um, she takes uh, Brian Blessed. I could call him by his warrior name, but I've forgotten it. Um, Can Yana, we just call him Cthulhu? Cthulhu. She takes Cthulhu to Earth uh, to become a wrestler. And there's a new adventure, Bad Therapy, where she goes back to Earth and meets the Doctor. And I think there's a comic where she meets the Doctor. And I believe there's an audio now. So she's got more fates than Ace. This is yeah, that's true actually. But uh, I, I think because it's, no one quite believes that she would end up getting uh, married to Brian Blessed's character, which is fair enough. It's almost, in fact, it's probably no, it's not as bad as Leela and Thingamabob's uh, <laughs> romance because at least at least Perry talks to him. And acknowledges his existence, but it just makes the absurdity of the relationship all the all the greater. Because, but Brian Blessed genuinely just seems to have sort of wandered in from another production. <laughs> he probably did. In fact, that's probably what happened. This is all completely coherent, and then one day Brian Blessed turned up. But I, I just love that the fact that almost every sort of thirty seconds, it's suddenly Brian Blessed. That wonderful moment where Colin Baker springs Brian Blessed from prison. And just nods at him, and Brian Blessed smacks the card in the stomach. It's just, he's just ridiculously he, he keeps violent. Times and he goes, oh, oh, whenever he hits anyone, which is what I like. And then he's just this very strange, sort of little whistling, <whistles> his whistling war cry thing. Yeah, I just, I just, you wonder how much he was improvising. I, I think a hell of a lot. But um, it's not just Brian Blessed in the story. We should really emphasize that. There's but he's, he's the thing around which. Everything orbits. There's, there's also Sill and Mike from the Young Ones as Lord Kiv. Yes, and marvelous they are too. Aren't they? Yeah. Oh yeah. I sense. didn't realise that was Mike from the Young Ones. And also <laughs> yes, Commander. Fuck me! I mean, oh my god. And also Commander Stahl oh. from Sontar and Stratagem. I think oh. watching eight films yeah. in a row over fourteen hours, primarily aimed at teenagers, has kind of warped my brain a bit. Mind warp, if you will. Mind Mind warp. See, it has everything to do with this. Let's do the mind warp again. And no one can see it when you stick two fingers up at me, by the way. Um, Yeah, but I know that you're then annotated. 
<laughs> it's okay. Damn. Uh, but yeah, no, that's Mike from the Young Ones. Mm. Um, in his funniest role ever. No, I mean, it's really good. Uh, Seal, good. Seal's pretty much as he was in Vengeance. Yeah. I, I think they're probably the most successful of the Colin Baker era villains. Well, well Seal, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, next to Davros, but he already existed, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, he's not. Yeah. If you think looking at unique villains for that time, it yeah. really only is Seal, yeah. I think. Yeah, Sil in particular is like really gross and oh, it actually makes me feel uncomfortable, which I can't say that about many, you know, sort of 80s Doctor Who monsters. I mean, I wouldn't mind see, seeing Sil turn up in the new series. I think he Well, could work. he kind of reminded me a tiny bit of, you know, the Peter Kay, um, like, you know, that sort of green, unpleasant the oozyness. The yeah. That would be fantastic. Sil versus the Absorbable. <laughs> <laughs> An Absorbatron? Absorbaloff. Is it Absorbaloff? Absorbaloff? Yeah. I think Peter um, Kay would win. He, he'd just kind of like belly so flop on top of Sil. Basically, you want to see Sil fight Ian Levine. <laughs> That's what you're saying. You want to see a disabled man fight Ian Levine. That, that, that would essentially be like the, the, the ultimate 80s Doctor Who thing, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you want to see Brian Blessed fight Ian Levine. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I'd, I'd watch Brian Blessed fight anyone. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, now I'm just Blessed. imagining Brian Blessed fighting different people and things. But Queen actually, not, not 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 just Brian Blessed. Uh, Crozier is great. Oh know? yeah, he's brilliant. He's so oh, I love that moment when he get, he just has a cuppa. Yeah, he has a cup of tea. And he's like, oh, he's dying. Finishes the tea <laughs> and then goes into it. It's like <laughs> moment of I'm not rushing this. He is just a sort of wonderfully loose all the time. Very sort of. I'd say grounded, but then he goes off off the chain. Right at the, the end, but thing. I guess it's right at the end. That's his, kind of get, yeah, that's, his that's his nothing in the I, world will stop me now moment. I've succeeded. No, it's nothing in the world will stop me now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in some ways, I think it's a bit like I said in, in, in uh, looking at parts one to four. It's okay, but it just suffers a bit from we've seen this all before. Mm. And even with uh, Brian Blessed giving it a bit of life and some um, good performances generally... What's also worth noting is it's not all bright 80s lighting, which is quite surprising. Yeah, some of it is incredibly bad dark 80s lighting, like when they're like, you know, sort of shuffling about in the corridors, hiding and stuff, and all of a sudden you can only tell like that they're there because you can see a tiny bit of Colin Baker's coat illuminated. There's that really weird bit when Perry joins the sort of space brothel for one scene, oh, and, and yeah. then goes into that, that sort of nightclub which seems to be populated entirely by the maybe. dancers from Kylie or Madonna. It's, yeah, and, maybe. And Maybe, maybe they're doing it to make Brian Blessed feel a bit more at home. It must have been quite similar to being back on the uh, set you, of Flash Gordon. You, oh, I thought you were suggesting they were setting up a brothel just so Brian Blessed would feel. <laughs> oh, no. Is this a BBC no. thing now? He's got this contract. Uh, Brian's here. Get out. Get out the brothel. Because I, I, we all knew there was a BBC club, but I never realised that it went you know, private members only. You'd be surprised. Um, I'll have to tell you after we finish recording that the great anecdote I heard about someone. <laughs> Please, say it on the podcast and don't say it at all. I can't, all. I can't. I might get sued or something if it turns out not to be well, true, which, my God, I hope it's we've true. We've already implied that, that, that Brian Blessed frequents brothels. No, <laughs> I no, just, it's, it's, he must feel at home because contracts. it's a bit like I've being on I've also said I want to see Ian Levine fight a disabled man, so I don't think we're doing too well. Um, something a bit weird about this story, actually, going right back and trying to bring this onto some kind of track, is it kind of starts off halfway through it, through itself, because they end up on the planet, and they're on the planet because they're tracking this weapon that they've already... So it's already carrying on from an event to the we don't see. 
It's the um, yeah, it's, it's it's almost new adventuresy, isn't it? A little bit. Actually, it's starting yeah. in medias res. <laughs> Is that a technical term? Using using your film student thing. <laughs> yes, um, but yeah, it, it is interesting that it sort of takes starts halfway through the story. Although in this case, it's slightly confusing because they're just throwing a lot of alien terms at you. Yeah, yeah, it's not a great. And also, they seem to be they, they seem to be pursuing the one gun on the entire planet. <laughs> <laughs> they have been <laughs> say, hey, got this gun. How you do? Anything else in your notes? Um, I've got meta texture. Oh, Brian Bless's wonderful line: "We'll all scout ahead." <laughs> yes, Brian Bless doesn't understand scouting. Brian Bless's basic military tactics: <laughs> run in and shout. That wonderful scene where he, he's just shouting in an exploding laboratory, as though he's destroyed it with the force of his personality. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Bless's war hat, as I believe we said it was little samurai war hat. You know, I want Brian Blessed to become an MP. <laughs> I would definitely watch Prime Minister's Question if Brian Blessed were pi- uh, Prime would Minister. Would the Prime Minister admit that he's a Cyberman? Um, <laughs> politics. <laughs> Doesn't I, he have a line about politics? Oh, Is, isn't oh, there actually a oh, line about... cancelled, he calls yes. it. Uh, I don't know if that was an attempt at 80 satire, possibly. There is there is a slight problem with the mentors in the sense that they are a bit like the Phantom Menace in that it's, it's a family show that's talking about taxation and trade routes and yeah. Know, I mean, I suppose they're doing it in slightly broader terms, so it works reasonably well. It works well. better, but it's so yeah, it's a bit like ooh, we're going to give them money, or should we? Ooh, taxation, and you're like uh, 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 make that noise again. <laughs> People are just going to think that's interference on the podcast. <laughs> no, no, Adam did that with his throat. That's what she said. Oh dear. I think we've covered pretty much everything. I think we have. But yeah, it, it's a weird exit for Perry. Very weird, particularly wreck on it. Brian Blair is very loud. It's the, the Valiard seems to have started wearing more eyeshadow. Yeah, I think in every scene, Michael Jason's gets eyeliner get, but his eyeliner gets thicker and thicker. I swear, every every time they cut to him, he's got a bit more on his face. I think he's on much better form in this episode, actually, Michael Jason, or this, this story. Yeah. Um, well, maybe it's because they told the Colin Baker to stop calling him the Brickyard and the Knackers Yard and all of that stuff, and he thought, "Oh, thank God, this is slightly less awkward now." Yeah, I think the problem is that you, you do find yourself in the courtroom scenes agreeing with the villain. <laughs> whenever he says this is why are you showing us this this is irrelevant or whatever mm. or and now the doctor proves that he's you know a murderer or whatever well yes he just threw a corpse at someone <laughs> yes <laughs> he's, he's not exactly helping his case I think yeah. anywhere in time and space anywhere you want to go might have to throw a corpse again <laughs> shouldn't he it's not really <laughs> fantastic fantastic <laughs> I do like to play this game with with old who are trying to imagine them doing that and then you it's <laughs> trying to work into the character you know I never would except for that time I had to throw a corpse at somebody yeah uh, why is that something they never use um, in a character description actually if, if Sylvester McCoy's character can be called a chess player because he plays chess in one story surely Colin Baker's doctor can be referred to as a corpse thrower <laughs> I always wanted to um, to re-edit that bit in Journey's End when Davros is going I show you your true self and just re-edit it with all the sort of really random bits of 80s who, like uh, <laughs> like Tom Baker punching people and Colin Baker throwing a corpse at someone. <laughs> <laughs> and John Pertwee shooting a casually strolling o- over on. <laughs> 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 
Oh dear. Oh. And on that note. <laughs> right, I think... Uh, are we done? I think we're done. I think we've pretty I much covered everything. We are. Well, done. next next episode we get uh, parts 9 to 12, where we will int- have the introduction of Melanie Bush, uh, Pip and Jane Baker. Oh, uh, Melanie Bush, the original Lamy Pond. <laughs> <laughs> the original the Riddler song. She's ginger. Oh, a bullet. The original Riddler song. My heart. River, no, she's definitely River Song. Trust me on this. Um, no, uh, River Song was never that annoying. Okay. Okay. Are we done? But I'm right? looking forward to Mel. I just want. I want that on the record. It's on the record. I. Will it's leave on it the in. record. You fancy Mel? Uh, so, as we leave Steve with his with his Bonnie Langford fantasies, uh, if you want to contact us, it's nakedscarf at gmail.com or on Tumblr, nakedscarf.tumblr.com. Uh, Twitter. What, uh, Twitter at nakedscarf. Facebook. Facebook. The, if you search for Naked Scarf, you'll come up with the Naked Scarf group, which That's is everything. unsurprising. That, thank you very much. Um, say goodnight, Andy. But it might be morning where these people are. It might be Don't ruin the joke where I say say goodnight, Andy, and you say goodnight. Oh, goodnight, <laughs> folks. <laughs>